0: Fox Sports is the home of Australian rugby, and this is the official Fox Rugby podcast with your host, Nick McCardle. And it is terrific to have you company once again on the Fox Rugby podcast this week. I'm joined by Sam Worthington, Christy Doran from foxsports.com.au, and a very special guest this week, Anthony Fanger. Welcome to you, former Reds and and Wallabies centre. Uh, and Brumbies. Pad- and Brumbies, of and course. Brumbies, Don't yes. forget the Brumbies. Four games for the Brumbies. Um, you've been in Japan for, for three years. But I'm sad to say, in some ways, but also relieved to say in other ways, that uh, your career has come to an end. Take us through the decision, firstly, to, uh, to end your career. Well,
1: yeah, if I, if I take it all the way back, it's, um, in terms of how it started, um, it was more around the, the head knocks, firstly. Um, yeah, you know, I copped a really big head knock, which everyone probably seen and sp- viewed a few times, and uh, viewed a few times on the internet. How much I got knocked out in that World Cup against the USA. Um, it's quite funny. My brothers think it's very funny that I got stretched off, <laughs> and that they think that I should have just got up and just walked off the field. It's um, so, a tough school
0: in the Finger House. Oh, it? Hey?
1: so to retire <laughs> on head knocks. Um, they They think it's pretty funny, um but they understand the seriousness of it um but you know, after copying that head knock and then a few head knocks after that um you know I had to make that decision to say what's what's best for me and my family i 'm not twenty one anymore and, and i i i'm i'm thirty two i 've got two young kids i 've got a wife that I need to look after, and I sort of got back to australia I had knee surgery on my knee. Uh, just a meniscus, meniscus clean out and it sort of gave me some time to think about what I want to do and uh, yeah, what I want to do with my future. And after sort of thinking about that, um, yeah, I'm reflecting over the last sort of three years and how... Yeah, you know, I really love rugby, I enjoy it and it's the best part of my life and it's been the best part of my life. I, I finished school and two weeks later I was in the Brumbies uh, running around with George and Stephen Larkham, Yeah, you know, some of these Clyde Rathbone, Joe Roth. You know, this is two weeks straight after school. I, I left school and was running around with these guys in pre-season. So I, I only knew rugby. So this was one of the hardest decisions to make in my life. Um... To get back on topic and talk about the, the concussion stuff, I, I had to think about what, what, what are some of the things that I was, I was dealing with. Like I, I was dealing with, I, I couldn't remember a lot of things. I would have to go, I, would, I was playing games for the last two years, I think, probably two or three years I, I was playing a game, having to go home, watch the game again, then watch the game again to actually go in on Monday and talk about the game. Is that right? Then, you know, on the back of that, that, that was only just some of the memory stuff. On the back of that, I was always run down. I, I felt I felt like I was, you know, I felt like I was, dr- like, drowsy all the mo- – like, every morning, I was drowsy. I woke up, you know, knowing that I had to go to training. I loved – I always woke up feeling fresh, ready to go for training. I get into training and just feel drowsy, just not wanting to be there and all these this. Like, just things that were never – common. Like, I I really love the game. Um, And then
0: I... Just let me interrupt. Did you make the connection... um, Well, when did you make that connection that that it was because of concussion, the way you were feeling? Um, How long ago did you come to that realisation?
1: Well, probably... The last, in December, I got another head knock. So uh, myself and another guy went for a tackle. This is uh, playing in Japan, right? Playing in Japan. So uh, myself and another guy went for a tackle on a on a taller guy. Both our heads come around and we, we bang heads, both out cold. Mm. After that, I was... I just couldn't remember stuff. Mm. My memory started to get worse. I am like, I just thought, oh, it'll be okay. Yeah, it'll be okay. I got back up. They, they, the doctors actually picked me back up. No worries. You are right. Pushed me back into the line, and I kept playing.
0: But that was that was December. I am wondering, and I guess it's a tough question to ask, but why? Why did you leave it for three years? Why? when you were feeling like this and obviously you would have spoken to people about it did someone around you not say because yeah you don't speak to people about it what so why did you think you were feeling like that
1: i i felt uh, yeah i felt maybe because i was doing i was training i was training a lot maybe i was thinking more about other stuff yeah i was thinking about um yeah, you know, a lot about training, a lot about performance, a lot about contracting. All these things, you know, they,
0: Live- they livelihood.
1: Yeah, your future, absolutely. the the future. So I I knew I was still contracted for two years, but there was always this doubt. Okay, what happens if I get injured? What happens if this happens? Yeah, you know, all these all these doubts were put planted seeds in my head um, and they just grew bigger and bigger and that you get stressed and that's the whole mental illness thing and it it worries you. The fear, the fear of not getting contracted, the fear of getting injured on a contract year, the fear of not playing your best every week, the fear of not performing, um, all these things. And and then for me personally, um, a head knock, I, I didn't really think too much of a head knock that the concussion, all the concussion things that I try to read up on, there's not a lot out there. When you read about it, yeah, when I looked at rugby plays, no, one's really, no one I had ever read about had retired because of a concussion. So for me, I, I just felt like, well, why would I be the first person to do it? Mm. I, I'm not going to be that bloat. And it wasn't until I got this last head knock that I actually felt, well, mate, you need to wake up and, and this is serious. Uh, you've got a young family, you're forgetting about things and you're getting run down all the time and it's not because you're doing extras and it's not because you're thinking about other stuff and it's not because you've got a crying kid at, at night. Like You can put up with that, you deal with that. Being tired all day is not a good feeling. So that's when I had to pull up and go you know, to my wife. I'd, I, I spoke to her and I said to her, this is how I'm feeling. She's like, Anthony, I think it's time. Mm. I think it was time two or three years ago.
0: Do you think if you were playing uh, in another competition in another country, say for example, if you were at the Reds still, um, rather than Japan, um, would the support system? Do you think someone might have actually tapped you on the shoulder and said, "Hey mate, you, you're just you're not yourself"? Do, do you think there was well, something about being in Japan that that maybe allowed it to sneak through to the keeper for for three years?
1: Well, on one side, you. It's hard because in Japan there's only you know, between us there's there's eight foreigners, so the Japanese look to you to play well every week, mm-hmm. and there is a lot of pressure put on you blokes on, on on us. So for us to not perform or not to be playing, it's really disrespectful. We're, what what's he doing? It's only a head knock, so it makes you think a little bit worse in Australia or in New Zealand wherever else. Um, it's not about the guys, you know, because a lot of these guys are all, 90% of them company workers. Mm. So you're expected to play. You should be playing. Um, if I'm back here at the Reds, it's different. Everyone's a professional athlete. Um, so for me, when I was back here, I had, I had that really, really bad head knock where I was, the ball was kicked behind me. I chased back. Um, I went to, to seal over the ball. As I looked up, Richie McCall. Bang straight over the top of me. The top of his head hit the the front of my skull. Um, I was out cold. I got back to my feet. The ball went right, come comes back left. Izzy Dag does a little goose step. I tackle him as the guy, whoever whoever was trying to jump over me, he's kicked me straight in the face. Mm. I was out cold again. I get back to my feet. They end up scoring. We go back to the go back to the try-line. I have an argument with the doctor saying, no, I'm okay, let me go, let me go, let me go. Um, he goes, no, mate, I've just seen what's happened in the last two phases, you're out. So he walks me off the field, yeah, I'm still a bit dizzy. I said, mate, I'm all right. And yeah, I'm, still a, bit, I'm, a, I'm a bit shitty about him dragging me off the field. Um, and that was a game that we, we, we end up losing. Um, but we, you know, I passed the concussion test that night, passed it in the morning, then that night uh in two thousand and sixteen that night i can, I can still remember uh, i I said to my wife i go i 'm not feeling right, I feel like i'm i 'm drunk i, I you know, we were just sitting at home having dinner, and I started slurring my words and um, getting really blurred vision and just walking funny. She goes, "I think you need to lay down." so I laid down um, and uh, i 'm not sure what time it was, but she ended up finding me on the floor, crawling to the bathroom mm-hmm. so from then on, she, she she calls the ambulance or whatever. I, I go to hospital. I spend the week in hospital. They don't know what's wrong with me. They work out that maybe it could have something to do with the concussion. It might be a middle ear infection. I don't know. Because my balance was all over the place. I had blurred vision. It was really serious. So for six weeks, and they managed, so the, the Reds actually managed that really, really well. So I, I have to take my hat off to Abby Varshney, who was the doctor there at the Reds at that time. He, he gave me so six weeks, I couldn't look into the, into the light. So for six weeks, I was in a dark room. Couldn't, couldn't look into, uh, couldn't, read a, couldn't read a book, couldn't watch TV, couldn't do anything. Uh, worst worst time of my life. So, spending a week in hospital and then another six weeks, uh, you know, not in sunlight, you know, him coming to visit me at my place, mate, are you okay? After that, we probably spent another two months until I could start walking without any headaches, migraines. And then we started another two months on that, started playing.
2: You, you, you started off this conversation by saying that your brothers had kind of given you a little bit of, as brothers do, a little bit of banter between going, come on, like surely you're not retiring because of a head knock or, or whatever. But do, does does the cultural does, – does there need to be a cultural shift in, in how people react to
1: concussions? Well, I can only speak from, from my family. My family's quite hard. Like we – yeah, my father as well. My father's passed away, but my father was very hard on me and Saya and Villian Colby, like all of our brothers, about things like this. Um, and I think the biggest pressure was um, never giving your position up, because if you give your position up, it's twice as hard to get that position back. So, head knock or no head knock, you should be playing. Because Anthony, if if you if you miss a game, so. Uh, if if I miss a game at 12 and that 12 plays really well, then that's my position gone. So I'll have to work h- twice as hard to get that position back. So he was really, really big on like just toughen up, like toughen up, like mate, I don't care if it's a head knock, I don't care if you break your leg or your finger, or your arm, get out there.
0: That, that's within your family. Would you agree though that there has been a, a cultural shift within the, the game? Yeah,
1: so yeah. within the game, within the game – um, Within the game, you can see the changes over the last years. uh, Over the last, with Warren McDonald at the top of it, charging down on, um, yeah, with the big cultural shift about concussions, making people more aware of it. I still think that it needs to go, yeah, from grassroots up, not down, um, because at the moment we got, yeah, you see a lot of head knocks in grassroots, but they're still getting pushed along and pushed into the game. So you really feel that it should be brought from the grassroots up. Um, because it's always hard in any business to do or any, anything to do it from the top and trickle it down. Mm. You need it. Yeah, it's like a pyramid. You start it from the bottom and work your way up to the top.
0: It's also really interesting, that, you know, and, and back to your family's philosophy. I had um conversation with a, a former Wallaby. I won't, I won't name him because I don't think he'd, he'd want to be named, but um, he's coaching at a Sydney private school at the moment and he is leading... Um, a cultural shift in terms of uh, concussion within schools. And he was telling me that he's been blown away by parents who actually say to him, no, no, little Johnny's fine because they want little Johnny to be, mm. to in be the, playing in, first or whatever in, in the is. firsts. Yeah. And, and he says, no, little Johnny's had a head knock. We've had him assessed. He needs to sit out. And the parents go, no, mate, he's fine. He's fine. You know, let him play. So it's almost like... Yes, the, the professional game, it's been, it's been forced onto the professional game, which is fantastic. But you're right, at at, grass, at grassroots, maybe the message still isn't getting through. Do you feel that you can play a, a role? I mean, just being here talking about it, and I know you've been on, on Fox Sports News as well talking about it. Do you feel you can or you have a role to play in that?
1: Well, I I think I have to speak out about it. No one's really ever spoken spoken about it. Um, I've had some serious, some some big head knocks. And if you want to Google it or YouTube it, you'll see me getting knocked out a few times. And I think all my highlights are pretty much based on me getting knocked out. So, um...
0: You did do some other really good things in your... Besides getting knocked out, yeah.
1: Um... Yeah, I was an untalented sports player that was lucky to play for Australia. Mate, you played uh, so, 23 yeah, test yeah. matches. So yeah. dished, there's a lot of people like on the way.
0: Played one.
1: Yeah, so with no talent. I just worked hard. No, I was Come lucky. On, mate. Anyway, um, in terms of my role where I said I, what I wanted to talk about and just make people aware because I've been in the shoes where still, you know, if you put me in my shoes in December where I've just had the head knock and I have to play the following week, I'm still going to the doctor every day, mate, I'm ready, I'm right to go. Like, mm. pl- play me, I need to play. I don't want to give up my position. And maybe that's ingrained in me, so therefore it's it's just super, like a nature, yeah, it's human nature. It's just, I want to play, I don't want to give my spot up. You yeah, know, this is money, this is my money. Because yeah, mm. at the end of the day, it's, it's my, yes, I'm a professional, if I don't play, I don't get paid.
0: So, which says to me, so you've got your your family's view of the world, which has been ingrained in you, so that's one thing. You've got a young family that you're trying to provide for and, and it's what you know. So, all of that says what you've been through since December must have been really difficult, right? So Absolutely. It's, ha- it's been, how difficult has it been?
1: So, so, it's been probably the hardest transition time that, yeah, in my whole life I've had to deal with been told that I'll never play rugby before. So, in 2000 and 2006, um, they thought all the nerves in my leg um, were all, all dead and that I, I had compartment syndrome. My leg swelled up that much that the nerves going to my feet all died. Well, they thought they all died, so um, they said that I'll never walk properly again. Uh, they told me, all right, you'll never play rugby again. I said, oh, okay, no worries. Say was in there with me crying. This was in South Africa under 19s Australian tournament. Um World Cup Tournament, sorry. And I all I can remember him the doctor telling me you'll you'll never play rugby again. Say going, looked at me and didn't want to cry and just seeing the tears roll down his face and I started crying and um and and then I you know, that was that was tough. I come back to come back to Australia, spent Eight months in hospital got but I actually got back now, the realization of not playing and not coming back because of it was hard um, how, how,
3: are you, how are you feeling physically now are you still getting symptoms from the concussions
1: so as i, s- I spoke to John before i haven't really done any training i haven't done um, i haven't done a lot of physical stuff. Um, purely because when I was doing physical stuff, I was getting head... Look, just migraines, I was getting run down, I felt... So people still think, oh, geez, you know, as you can see, I've, I've lost a lot. I've probably lost about 10 kilos and I haven't done anything. Haven't, people are like, why are you losing weight? You should be putting on weight. You're now a retired <laughs> footballer. And I don't know what's... Maybe it might be stress or something, but I, I don't know. But um, ever since I've retired, I, I, I keep losing weight, um, but I haven't done any exercise. I, I'm trying to sort of build back into that slowly. Um, it didn't help that obviously I had surgery on my knee, but, you know, thinking about it, you know, people talking about, oh, what are you doing next? What are you doing next? Yeah, you, know, you, you know, what are your thoughts on this? What are your thoughts on this? You know, Coming to me about mental illness, all that kind of stuff, then it it just keeps into my it keeps in my head. Well, what what what's happened? Yeah, I I have to, I keep reflecting on what's happened. If that makes sense, so it's difficult. Um, I'm lucky. I'm I'm very lucky that I have uh, a, a really strong wife and family and. And also, my brothers are, are super strong, so they've been awesome. Um, my wife's a beast, and yeah, and I've got some really, really good support people around me. And I think um, having that helps in any kind of any kind of situation—good, bad, whatever. If you've got good, good people around you, and you surround yourself with good people, you'll always, you'll always do good things we're recording
2: this pod uh just what a day or so after pat lambie um the former springbok fly half has has pulled up stumps not that long ago either and he he retired because of concussion and head knocks and so forth um and, and you can find that article in the times you can you are you relieved because you were close to signing a contract or, or going over to play with Leicester um on a short term contract before potentially going to france are you relieved that that you're not doing that and going, you know, putting your body through what you've
1: put uh, been through over the last few years? Well, well I think um, you never – yeah, absolutely. Yes, I am. I'm relieved. But I, I wouldn't have had – so because I had to get the clean out in my knee, it gave me time to think. It gave me time to reflect. It gave me time – to go, okay. What's best for me in the future for my family? Otherwise, you just you like a you like George Smith. You just keep going. You you don't stop, and you just keep chasing the games. And it's the best way to for me. That was the best way to always not think about the end game because mm. I was always playing, so mm. I didn't have to worry about anything. And that was always sort of my philosophy. Sort of the last three or four years. You know, I went from from Japan to the Reds, Japan to the Brumbies, Japan. Then I came back and got surgery and then went, that's it. Mm. So, if I wasn't, you know, I I could have stayed in Japan for a few more years, I could have went to France, I could have went to London, and those were all options. And um, if I didn't get this surgery, then perhaps things may have been different. Mm. Um, But I think everything happens for a reason. And I was very fortunate enough to to get back home and and when i was when I actually was back home i yeah you know, i felt better within myself um and better like i felt much healthier after just not doing anything for two or three weeks I thought, why is that what why am i starting to remember where i put left stuff i was not remembering where i left keys or you know what my kids did yesterday like it was it was it was bad so um i'm grateful that i had the opportunity that that someone said all right you need you know someone hit my knee and i had to get you know surgery on my knee because it gave me time to reflect
3: Mm-hmm. And what do you think about the direction that rugby's going? There's been a lot of debate about are we cracking down too much on, on, on tackling techniques and, and high tackles um, for player safety? You played the game in a very physical, tough manner. Like would, uh, do, you, do you see the, the need to, to get that tackle height down and down and, and change the, ga- the way that the game's officiated? Well, in terms of tackle
1: technique, I never had to worry about tackling too high. Um, because I always grass cut people. Yes. <laughs> so um, it was never an issue because I was always tackling at ankles and knees. Um, but obviously, uh, guys are getting bigger. So guys are getting bigger, stronger. Every year, the, there's more of an emphasis on S&C and, and guys are getting bigger and stronger and they're becoming machines. And you can see that in rugby league where guys are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So for us, I think there has to be uh, yeah well there has there has to be some kind of m- measured um to let me just start again let i I feel no there shouldn't be uh only because you know fans want to see big tackles fans come to the game they want to see the big hits I feel um shoulders on like obviously shoulder and arms need to be um you know in you're part of it you can't be shoulder charging or whatever but a, a good Big tackle is what fans come to watch.
3: So even you know all that you've been through, um, you know players know what they, they're signing up for basically, and there is risks involved with with a game like rugby. Absolutely, that's yeah.
1: that's it's rugby. It's yeah, um, yeah look, I, yeah, I go to the game to watch that that hard tackle, that big hit. Yeah, you know, I yeah, that's what you that's what you come to watch. I think as a as a spectator, as a player, you, you're taking away your, my power. Like for me, I, I was an aggressive player. That that's. That's what I built my career on, was like, tackling people hard. Yeah. So, within the game, there has to be rules and obviously the, the referees have a job in that in terms of um, you know, not making sure that the tackle rules are not above your neck and above your shoulders and, or too low, whatever it is. But as long as it's a legal tackle, I'm happy for it to be as hard as possible.
0: Mm. All right. uh, You are listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast and our special guest today, a veteran of 23 test matches for the Wallabies, 97 super rugby matches for the Reds, four games for the Brumbies, Anthony Fanger. You're listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. How are we going? And... uh, Let's talk a bit about uh, what's happening in Australia at the moment in terms of Super Rugby, the the start to the season. Um, We're just about uh, to get into our fourth round of Super Rugby and what have you made of it so far? There seems to be a real uh, positive attitude around what's happening in Australia at the moment compared maybe to the last couple of years, a couple of wins over New Zealand sides early on. What's your take on where Australian sides are at at the moment?
1: Well, I feel... In terms of getting the wins early on the, key, the New Zealand sides, I think that's quite good for morale and it's good for Australian Rugby Union because we don't want to get halfway down the yeah, halfway into the season and the talk is only about, oh, we haven't beaten a New Zealand side. In a World Cup year. In a World mm, Cup yeah. year. So I think we just park that, that's done, and now we just push on with the season. In terms of Australian Rugby Union, there's... Uh, yeah, in terms of Australian Rugby Union, we... we're doing really well. We've got a really young side in the Queensland Reds. Um, A young side, when I say young, I mean a a side that's hungry, a side that is, um, that's been coached really well. I I like the way that Brad Thorne comes across and I like the way that he wants his team to be perceived. A team that is, Built on your yeah, ethos, strength, um, together, all that kind of stuff. You got a team that's a mixed bag at the the Warriors, where they've got some experience and some inexperience, and then you've got uh the Melbourne Rebels, who are a team that you yeah, have a, a, a whole heap of superstars that need to be brought together, um and that'll be dictated by time. Um, you know, obviously the Western Force are no longer in it. Um, so, you know, the yeah, so the real reason or the, the real part of it is consistency. Mm. Uh, where you see the Brumbies do really, really well one week and then not so well the following week. Uh, same as the Waratahs, they, they, they start and play really well and then they let the Sunwolves back into the game. Uh, the Sunwolves did defend really, really well. Um, but I I think for a shirane rugby union we need some consistency uh, in the way that we play, Um, how we go about that. Each team has their own strategy and strengths and it's up to the coaches. We'll probably touch on Jordan Pataia in a moment because he started
2: with the Reds just before, but in terms of consistency, clearly you're part of that 2011 Super Rugby Championship side. How, How does a team become consistent? Because it's it's it sounds pretty easy enough, you know. You just back up and play well, and you catch and pass, and you're aggressive. Everyone always talks about it, but what actually gets
1: involved, and how how do you become a consistent side that wins? Well, we it, it takes time. It takes time because we we started our journey with Ewan in 2010 or like 2009, perhaps, and you know we came. I got to the Reds. We we came last, and then we. The following year, Ewan came in. We came second last or thir- thirteenth, uh, and then we came sixth, and then we won the premiership. Mm. So over the over those years, we what we did was we built a team that was not just a fifteen man squad, a, a, probably a twenty five man squad. That we had, you know, we had guys like Adam Wallace Harrison. That was. Brought on as yeah he was like our super sub yeah he came on and he yeah at the end of the games when lineouts weren't that structured or unstructured he he was winning our lineouts winning their lineouts knew all the lineout calls was just like a he was he was our go-to man. Um, Then we had someone like, say, John O'Lance or uh, we used Quade as a quarterback. Quade didn't want to tackle back then. Still doesn't want to tackle that much now but (laughs) – Well, let's be honest. Hello to Quade if you're listening. (laughs) um, Quade is a great guy and uh, there's nothing wrong with not tackling. He saves his energy for what he does best and that's attacking. Yeah. So, yeah, and he's one of the best in the world. Um, So – yeah, good on him. So for for us, we we knew our strengths. So one of our strengths was, yeah, we put Jono up in the front line as our number ten. We put Quade at fullback, and and we had a strong front line. And when they kicked the ball to Quade, I was there, He was he was there to counter, and we mm. we supported him. Mm. So it just it just we we worked out what we needed for that that team, what was best for that team, and I think we played consistently because we had um, we had really strong like a really good strong figure in Ewan McKenzie but underneath that we had really really strong leadership uh, no one was bigger than anybody else I think that we had really good um, we had good guys on the side um, throughout that year we had Bo Robinson that was pouring beers at the start of the year uh, Yeah, at the start of that year he was pouring beers Ridiki Samo couldn't get a contract anywhere out of Japan and then somehow uh, got a got a contract with us and then had the best year of his life. <laughs> we end up going on winning a Super Rugby Championship. Out of that, we have, you know, 10 blokes getting to the Wallabies squad. Um, yeah, we had Rod Davies, you know, running as, you know, running as the fastest we've ever run. Like, everything just worked. Yeah. We had Digby doing dances. And, <laughs> you know, for the first time in, you know, so many years, we had, you know, Suncorp Pact. You know, we played... I think the last five or six games we played there, we we sold out, and that had never happened before. So, I it hasn't it
0: hasn't really happened since. You know, there's there's a feeling that um, that maybe uh, Brad Thorn um, might not happen this year, but they certainly seem to be heading in the right direction. But but maybe there's a, a squad there that can you know sort of head towards the heights of of 2011. But I want to ask you and Christy touched on it before. Jordan Patea plays yep. in your. Position in the centres, um, young guy, and he's just picked up uh, an injury that was similar to one that you picked up, the uh, Liz Frank injury uh, to his foot early on in your career. People are saying, oh, you know, four months he might be back, we might see him just in time for the World Cup, he might squeeze in one test before they go to the World Cup, all this sort of stuff. Um, a couple of questions. What have, what have you made of Jordan Patea? And from that experience that you had with your injury, how long do you think it takes to get back to your best?
1: Well, uh, Liz Frank, I, I'm no doctor, so this is only my own opinion. I can only go off what my Liz Frank was. So uh, my Liz Frank took me probably six months before I was actually, well, I thought that I was actually able to run and tackle and, and perform. And it wasn't probably until eight months that I thought, yeah, I'm ready to go. Um, if he comes back earlier and pushes it, happy days. Like, re- I'm really Yeah, I mean, proud people it. heal at different, so, that's different right. rates, don't and, they? And, and I, was 18, I was 18. I was the same age as Jordan when I, I did my Liz Frank. Hmm. And at that time, it was a little less, it was uncommon. So now, um, you would think uh, 10 years time or yeah 12 years time that they would have better procedures in place. So maybe four months is a is a yeah you know, better scale of how fast I can get him back. Mm. Um, the thing that he needs to worry about it is is the game time and playing game time. And I yeah you know, I thought this year would be a really good year for him um, with if he didn't pick up this injury to get some really really good game time under his belt because you only get better by playing. Um, especially at top class, you can't go from school to to Super Rugby and then straight jump to the wa- to the Wallabies. Mm. Um, yeah, there's been one person that I know of that's done it. James O'Connor, he did he did really really well, but he still had a full season at the the Force or um, before he went and played for the Wallabies. But I would have to say, look, y- you really need to get those games underneath your belt, um, and you only get better by playing. Um, so I wish him the best and I hope that he gets over his Liz Frank as quick as possible. But to say that he may, yeah, if it is a Liz Frank, and I'm no doctor, I don't know what it is. Yeah, they've confirmed uh, that that's what it is. Yeah. So if it is a Liz Frank, it, it does take time. Mm. And you know, I was in a boot, I know for a fact, I was in a boot for three months, non-weight bearing. Um, and then after that, I was, I was just cr- crawling on my foot for another month and then slowly built that up. So yeah he's got a lot of hard work and you know there there is when you, anything that you you have to put all your weight on your foot and and run and whatever it it takes time mm-hmm. um it's not a finger it's not yeah it's not a it's not a finger it's not something you can hide so it's going to be tough for the young fella and I really hope that he gets back to his best um I I hope he makes that all be squad I I wish him all the best but um, it's going to be tough, and yeah, I wish him all the best.
3: Looking around the Australian centres at the moment, it's you know been a competitive spot in the last few years, and kirtley has been holding down number twelve probably for the last last couple. But it's so important to get that balance right, isn't it? That that you know guys complement each other, um, and and those around them in the back line. So, what have you made of of guys' form in Super Rugby so far, and, and who do you think you know might be the the best option for the World Cup for the Wallabies?
1: Well, we're only three games in. I've seen guys in the last four games do their best and play and get on tour. Um, so in terms of, you know, at the moment, you have to go off, you know, and, and World Cups are not built on, you know, uh, as, as we know in 2011, if I have to go back, in 2011 we went to the World Cup in New Zealand and you know, Quay was at his, one of what well, I thought it was at his best and it was quite difficult and I think what, Check's done now is brought in Bernard Foley where he knows is what he's gonna get. Yeah, you know, he's very structured, he yeah, you know, he kicks for touch, yeah, you know, he makes the he makes the right decisions. Um, he doesn't go for the all or nothing. He'll draw and pass, draw and pass. Very similar to Dan Carter. Dan Carter just does all the basics very well. What Quaid does is is Stuff that you won't like. It's hard. It's unteach. It's, it's uncoachable. So, um and you, you can see that in a few of the the loose passes that were played on the weekend. So, you know, when you're talking about nines and tens, and you know, when you're talking about centres, it's it's hard. It, it's who's your nine or ten first, and then you work your way back out there. Yep. So, I was quite lucky that I had played club rugby. I'd played many seasons with Quade. So. I knew that Quade was always looking for an offload, always looking for a flick pass, always looking for something underneath his legs. So I was aware, and and that's why we complemented really well. Yep. Um, so I was able to sort of you know keep an eye out for for most of the, the those little things. Um, at the moment, you can see that the the guys around him at the moment are just a, a little bit unaware of what he's actually capable of or what's he going to do. And you can see a little bit of frustration. But over time, that'll build and, and they'll be better for that. Yeah, well, you saw a, a bit of a partnership
2: building between him and Billy Meeks and, mm. and... Maddox as well. And Maddox as well. So there is a... You, know, you could see what happened with the Reds in, in 2011, kind of. You've got Dane haylett petty there as well. Um Oh, Marika Corribiti. So we we could probably see something similar to to 2011 there.
0: Yeah, I think there are a couple of um, passes, and and it goes to exactly what you were saying, Ian. a couple of passes that that just, you just. Know, there was one back on the inside, I think, to Adam Coleman who might have grasped it. Yeah. Um, um, you know, they're just a or it was certainly Luke one of the Jones second rowers. Luke Jones. And, yeah. It was yes. Um, and and you know, in five or six weeks' time, who knows? Catch those passes, score the try. You know, that, those sort of things come with uh, with time and. In uh, the harness. Uh, so, how long did that take? Did
3: it take years to, to really – did you ever really know what Quade was, was cooking up? He probably uh, doesn't know himself at times, does he, what, what he's going to do? Yeah, you
1: you'd never know what he's going to do, but I always expected that – so I knew for a fact that Quade didn't want to get tackled, so I would just hang around for the ball. So, yeah, I was pretty much – yeah I would look for the, what we call the shitters. So any ball that he would throw, I would catch and take it into tackle so Quade didn't have to get tackled. Do do, do, um, you,
2: do you see in the modern age in 2019 now that that you can have a quarterback as such that can get through a game and, and base a game plan around someone
1: like that still? Uh, well, yeah, again, we got to think of the players that you you pick in a World Cup. You, you know, if you have a fantastic, if you have a Johnny Wilkinson, you want to protect him, and you don't want him making tackles. All you want him to do is drop goals and kick goals. Well, you protect him. Because he's your biggest point scorer. Mm. Um yeah, for, for Quaid, you know, he he could be that person. Um but then you look at Christian Lee fighter. he's playing really well. So this yeah, Bernard Foley. Um yeah, Matt,
0: the, the, Matt Tamura will Matt, come back as Ma, well. Matt
1: Tamura coming back. So there's so much Bill, so we don't need to hide players now. Mm. There's guys in there's guys out there, there's there's capable guys that can play in the centers and ten. That we don't need to. You need to skill up, otherwise, check won't pick you.
3: You were away from Australia for a while, and the results have been pretty bad the last few years. Um, you you've come back, and hopefully, things are picking up now. But were you a, bit, a little bit baffled from afar, watching like the, the slide in the last few years and the tough results? Was it, like, do you think the quality of players still was, exists in
1: Australia that, that, to make a revival? Well, well, I'm always hopeful. You have to be hopeful. I'm an Australian. I, I love my love playing for Australia and. Um, the The biggest thing for me is that you know I'm seeing guys really good coaches getting getting the the sack um well, they say sack, but getting left behind in terms of you know check taking responsibility for all the results um and check taking responsibility for the coaching or whatever but then you're seeing Stephen Larkham that's been to a World Cup knows what ta- what it takes to to win a World Cup being let go so yeah, you, know, you have to think you know, they may have had um conflicting you know interests. Oh, I don't I I don't know. And and as I was as I said before, you never know what um what it's like unless you're in there and in amongst it. So just speaking from an outsider and purely only my opinion, I would want someone that has been to a World Cup, knows what it takes, has good knowledge, can speak to the players about both being a player and a coach. Um Steven has coached, yeah. I was lucky enough to play with him at the Brumbies. I was lucky enough to be coached by him at the Brumbies. Um, and I thought – and I think very highly of him, um, Stephen Larkin. Um, so whatever's happened there has happened. They have to move on. But, you know,
0: if you – It sounds very much that you feel that uh, the wrong things happen there.
1: Yeah, well, uh, yes, I do. Um, only because, uh, you yeah, know, and, and again, I don't know what's happened with, with Czech and, and Bernie, but – you want people around, and I, I've always been on the. You know, for me, I've always surrounded myself with guys that have a winning culture, guys that want to win, guys that have won, guys that are good guys. Um, I know for I know that Bernie is fantastic. I, Bernie speaks for himself. Uh, Stephen Larkham, he speaks for himself with his own credits. Yeah, he's won a World Cup. He's kicked the winning drop goal to to win a World Cup. Um, yeah, he's won premierships. Um, as a coach, he's taken the Brumbies to finals, several finals. Uh, he hasn't won one, but he's taken teams to f- consecutive finals. So for me, that that's you know, he, he's got the the credits on the board. To yeah, you know, check won the final, but consistently, consistently, Bernie was able to take the Brumbies, a team that wasn't expected. That no one wants, no one wants to go to Canberra and play down there. Mm. Canberra's cold, it's grubby, it's it's not great. <laughs> And I I know, I'm born and bred in Canberra. I lived there my whole life. So you're allowed to say it. So it's hard in Canberra. I played in Canberra for, I left. I never wanted to, I I wanted to stay, uh, I wanted to play and finish my career at the Brumbies. Um, But it's hard down in Canberra. So to get the guys to come down and commit and then get them to play consecutive good rugby, um, it's hard. So he was able to, to do whatever he did and get the best out of the boys. Mm. And, and Ewan McKenzie, of course, your former
3: coach at the Reds, he's a bit of a forgotten man in, a, in Australian rugby, but do, do you think that's just a, a massive, I guess, wasted resource now with, with what the unfortunate stuff that happened? And he's, I don't know if he ever wants to coach again, but that's its a great resource so going to waste, I would have thought.
1: Absolutely. I, you know, Ewan was a man of few words. Like the most we would ever get out of Ewan in a day if we didn't have a team meeting was a bit of a grunt. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that, that's really all we would get. Um, I'm not sure what he would say to the forward, but unless, you know... Two unless, grunts, maybe. Yeah, well, <laughs> he didn't really say a lot to us. Um, but, uh, Ewan was, yeah, Hewan was a great uh, manager of people and great manager of players. Um, for me, he's, yeah, you know, he's still one of my best coaches that I've, I've, I've ever had and coached. And he really got the best out of me, um... Yeah, you know, so yeah, you know, I'm so thankful that you know he gave me the opportunity and yeah, you know, he picked me as his number one twelve and all the rest of it. So, you know, you wanna always have my backing. Um but to see him not involved in anything to do with rugby is, is disappointing. And to see what happened on that, that that tour or whatever happened on that tour, uh was disappointing and for him to just just yeah, pull up trumps and and call the blow the whistle on it was just mm. was disappointing, mm. and yeah it wasn't just disappointing for him it was disappointing for the support staff, so he brought along he the stuff that he wanted all those guys just got poof, ejected out as well, so yeah, it was tough for a lot of people, and it was and it was hard to see um yeah it's hard to see you' were not involved in any rugby at all just when, while,
0: so, yeah, sorry so
3: just while you're reflecting a little bit um and obviously the the way your career ended um far from ideal but you've achieved so much in the game world cup and super rugby title have you had a good good chance to to reflect on all that the the good points and uh you must have had a lot of great messages from from former teammates and coaches since since making your announcement as well
1: yeah i um to be honest i haven't I, I try not to read too much social media and all the rest of it i try to Pretty low key on all that, so I. Does your brother
3: manage your your twin? Manages the account? Does he? You've got the shared account.
1: He, he does not manage anything. <laughs> <laughs> he's in London. And he's putting his head in scrums. That's what he's doing. No, uh, uh, say so, so, yeah. In terms of yeah, what we post and stuff so like we we yeah you. Know, I, I was really humbled by how many people came out and. Um, know, yeah, said congratulations on retiring and it was sad to see you leave and stuff like that. You guys Jerome Kano and stuff like that and yeah, you know, Dan Carter, some of the great Australians, you know, Gits and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, you have to be humbled by some of those comments. And I and I really was because I didn't expect anything like it. So um for me I was yeah, it was fantastic. But at the same time, um, you yeah, know, do I re- I reflected and it just hurts a little bit more but to know that I could still be playing. So I just try to push on with life and just go, all right, well, I'm no longer playing rugby. I need to keep focused and keep busy. Um, so that's what I'm trying to do. Um,
2: we'll bring it, bring it back to the here and now. This weekend there's a couple of local derbies, uh, big ones and ones that you would have looked forward to in the past, the the Reds uh, and the Tars at the Sydney Cricket Ground on, on Saturday evening. Um the reds it's been a long time since they've had a, a victory over the Towers. um doesn't get too much easier when you lose someone like a jordan patire but w- what must the reds do to to beat the
1: tars well i think um there's always been a big focus around israel for, Laos, for when we even when i was back there um i think the reds will have a big focus on just having uh worrying about them I'm um, not worrying too much about the Waratahs. Uh, they'll do their analysis today and tomorrow to make sure. So Monday, Tuesday, um, and then leading into the game, it'll be purely about the Reds and about how how they can play and then about their, their game. They just need to make sure whatever whatever strategy they go in with that they stick to it. Mm. They're a young side, so um, yeah, I, I know for a fact, and I know as a as a young side, if if you Veer left or right of, of your strategy, things go a little bit pear-shaped. So if you're able to stick to the strategy, it works. So I think uh, Brad and, and Jim McLeod, who's up there now, if they can stick to the attacking strategy, uh, if they can defend really well, um, the game's there for them. Um, on the other side of that, you know, if the Waratahs come out to play, it, it could be anything. Mm. Um, you know, So it could be either really close or it could just blow out. And um,
0: the, the, the other game, um, the other local derby being the uh, the Rebels and the Brumbies. Rematch and, uh, three, I know, three weeks just, later. Yeah, yeah, exactly, deja vu. So the, they matched up in the first round. The the Rebels got over the Brumbies in Canberra. Can they do it again at home, the Rebels unbeaten after two games?
1: Yeah, I, I think, um, well, I'll always support the Brums because they're my side, the Brumbies and the Reds. But uh, in saying that, well, I, I've got two very good friends in, in Quaid and, and Willie playing, and and lots of Ben Daly, many guys. So, um, oh, geez, that's a, that's a very tough game. <laughs> I, 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 good luck if you're if you're betting on that game. Um, it's yeah, you know, it's it's a different. It's going to be a totally different game than what it was in game one. I think uh, this week's matchup will be. Um, it may be a, a game up front, more so. Um, if Quade is allowed to play with the the, the the space, I think the game might open up. If, they, if they're if able to shut him down and not let some of those, the, the Melbourne Rebels wingers let loose, um, especially young Maddox, he's playing really, really well. He can really open up a game. So if if they allow that to happen, the Brums could be in trouble. Um, at the same time, on the flip side of that, if they let Henry Spate go, <laughs> then it could go the other way.
0: Well, the thing is, um, with, the, with the Brumbies at the moment, you just don't know. Given the inconsistency that they've played with over the first month, you just don't know which which Brumbie side you're going to get.
1: Well, that's that, that's exactly right. And, and all we can go off is, you know, the Melbourne Rebels have played consistent rugby for the last yeah three weeks, and they've they've been quite good. Um, the Brumbies have been one week played well, second week not so well, so they need to find a medium there. And what, yeah, like I said, the strategy, it comes down to the strategy. Whatever Dan McKellar's getting the boys to do, Christian needs to execute that strategy on the field and then hand it out to the boys and make sure that they deliver on that. Um, likewise for Quaid and the boys down there in Melbourne.
2: You, you would think that the Rebels would have drawn a lot of confidence out of holding on against a New Zealand team and oh, yeah, having definitely. those guys. Yeah. Just on the on the fly halves, you mentioned Christian and Quaid. What are your thoughts on on Quaid this year? Do you, do you expect that you? Michael Checker came up uh, out on the weekend and said that he'd, he was really impressed with how he had played. Your thoughts as we wrap up on Quade and, and where he, the trajectory of his season might go this year?
1: Well, I think Quade has come back in really good nick. After having a gear off, it's hard. Um, especially, so he just trained and he, 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 was, he was cut from the reds. Um, that, would have, that would have taken a bit of a toll on his ego. Um, so for me, I, I think he's come back and he's hungry and um, I think for, for me to see that, I can see the hunger back in his eyes. And he wants to win. Uh, and, and he wants to prove people wrong. Um, and that's what's really driving. So he's building relationships and he's working hard with the side. And you can see on his pose and you can see the things that he's doing with the side. He's, he's hungry because he wants to prove a lot of people wrong. He's got a lot, a lot of things to prove. Um, and yeah, it's a World Cup year as well. So Quaid personally has um, you know, some, some things he needs to he wants to achieve personally. And then obviously the team, and that'll reflect on the team. So um, I feel Quaid's playing well, um, but we are only in game four. So I, I think he's still got a long way to go. And I think he, as a player, he's maturing as well. Uh, watching him three years ago or watching him before he, before he left, the, before last year. Um, yeah, he was still a little bit inconsistent. This year, he's trying to be a little bit more consistent in what he's doing. The, he's passing at the line. You can see his skill stuff. His skill level is still very, very good, but he's not throwing the, you know, you know out of nine passes, maybe 10 of those were a 50-50. Now it's sort of 50-50, like where he might throw it, Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, you know, it's not nine out of 10 50-50 throws that he, yeah, it might be half of that. So... Um, I think Quaid's really maturing as a player. Um, and, yeah, he's got really back. Yeah, he's got Willie Genya leading the forwards. And, and I think that that helps any team. Um, and, you yeah, know, he's got uh, Young Coleman down there as well, helping lead the charge in the forward pack. So they'll do really, re- really well. So. Yeah, it was jo- so
3: joking before about Quaid's defence um, and he's never obviously going to be able to defend like you and it's never probably going to be a strength but he is have you seen him he is trying more right he got he got thrown out of the way once um against the the rebels but it does seem like he's more committed in defence like did you think it's his defence is at a level where you could defend him in the front line or do you still think he'd be better in, in the backfield defensively
1: no absolutely I, I think he's trying harder um, and I think he's worked – and this is, comes back down to the point of him saying, you know, he's had a year off, so he's had a lot of time to think. Um, yeah, he would be coming back trying to prove people wrong. I can tackle. I can I can do a lot more than just, you know, attack and throw the 50-50s and all that trick stuff. I can, I, I'm actually a full package player. So I know for a – yeah, I, I know that Quade would be wanting to be – uh, the best player he can be and, and he wants to be in that front line um, and he's not hiding away from those tackles. Um, the tackle that he got thrown away from, thrown off on, was quite a difficult tackle, was a side-on tackle. So he probably should have went a little bit lower, but, you yeah, it is what it is. Um, but, yeah, you can see he's more committed to making tackles more often. Um, yeah, and he's had to prove people wrong. Mm.
0: And uh, on that note, we'll, uh, we'll wrap things up. Thanks very much for joining us today and telling your story. And uh, I know you've got the support of your your lovely family and obviously the, the career, the burgeoning commi- career, rather, in the insurance industry in Brisbane and also the great work you do with the National Breast Cancer Foundation. So thanks very much. Good luck with all of that. And uh, I'm sure we'll keep in touch.
1: Thank you very much for having me on.
0: Thanks very much for listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. If you like the show, please help it grow by rating and reviewing on iTunes. Take care.